Our New Testament scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. It starts with the 26th verse, and it goes like this. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I haven't had relationships with a man? And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her, and she sang this song.
Mary and the baby Jesus have no right to be in the Christmas story. At first glance, neither Mary or Jesus have a place in God's creation. Both are outcast, they're unworthy, they are unpersoned parts of humanity. What is God doing calling this, these people to such a central role in the story? Now we Protestants don't really know what to do with Mary. We're uncomfortable with the way other Christians seem to venerate Mary at a, a level that seems to us to be the same as Jesus. And yet we want to acknowledge that Mary has a central role in the story. We want to lift her up without lifting her up. She was a teenaged, unwed mother giving birth to a child whose paternal lineage is unknown. And we're a little uncomfortable with blessing that behavior as well. The Christmas story makes us a little uncomfortable, and Mary probably most of all. One Sunday I was planning a Celebrate the Gifts of Women Sunday. It was many years ago. Um, it was supposed to be sort of a mirror of Mother's Day. And we were going to honor some of the matriarchs of the church, you know, those women who held the church up through sheer will for so many years. You know who I'm talking about, right? The ones whose names is on the Chrismons. Those women. And we were going to bestow a lifetime membership to Presbyterian women on one of the real go-getter women's in the church. And we were going to sing some songs about the gifts of women in worship. And it was going to go be awesome. And everything was going along fine until we got to the part where we had to plan, pick a scripture and plan the worship service. There just wasn't any music to pick from. And our music director at the time was Episcopalian uh, by training, and so what he suggested was that we process a statue of Mary down the aisle. It took us a minute to explain to our friend that um, Presbyterians don't have statues of Mary, <laughs> which was only one of like many problems <laughs> with this idea, right? This Mary thing is a delicate dance, and in some ways it sort of trickled down through the years in ways we're not totally aware of. We really don't know what to do with people who don't fit into the roles we assign them. Gabriel showed up in Mary's room, fully expecting Mary to react as every other person throughout history has reacted when the angel Gabriel shows up in their room, or the desert, or dreams, or wherever Gabriel appears. Every other person in the Bible has fainted from fear at the sight of this angel. This is the head angel. This is like the director of the angel bureau. 
Daniel almost runs out of the room when Gabriel appears. Ezekiel yells at him and runs into the desert. Zechariah argues with him and then is struck dumb for seven months. The shepherds quake at the sight. The Hebrew Talmud shows the people of Israel literally fleeing into the desert from Gabriel when he appears to them with good news. And the Quran shows Gabriel as the one who forces Muhammad to flee Mecca. Everyone else is afraid of Gabriel. That is, except for Mary. Every other person who encounters Gabriel is afraid and has a, we'll call it intemperate reaction. Mary is not afraid. Gabriel shows up in Mary's room and says, do not be afraid, Mary, in a way which is sort of perfunctory, like how we say, hi, how are you, and we don't really mean it, you know, because we really want to get onto the part of the conversation that matters. Do not be afraid, Mary, Gabriel says, and Gab Mary says, why should I be afraid? I'm not afraid. I mean, she's not afraid. This is an unwed teenage mother in a society that stones unwed teenage mother, a gay angel appearing in her room is the least of the things she has to worry about. She's confused. She's perplexed. She's bewildered. But she is not afraid. It's not that she's especially righteous or blameless or sin-free. She doesn't come from the priestly line of Aaron or the lineage of David. That's her husband. Beyonce. She has no standing, no value, no especially special characteristics, and nothing that would lead her to be picked out as the mother of God. Except for this, she's not afraid. I mean, she should be. The punishment for unwed teenage motherliness is stoning. And unlike other conditions which warrant a stoning, people are going to figure out she's pregnant. You can't hide it. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time until people find out her situation. Joseph is going to abandon her for sure. She'll be without protection, and she and the baby will die. Why should she fear a little teeny tiny angel? She doesn't fit. She doesn't react the way she's expected to react to this news. Mary is a person out of time, out of step with the normal parts of her society, and even the normal human reaction to a declaration like, hey, you're about to be a mother. Oh yeah, and he's God. Congratulations. There must have been something about Mary which we don't see, yet God saw. There must be some part of her character, some inner strength, some courage not credited to her by the text. Maybe it's the ability to be at peace. Mary is at peace. She silently waits at the window for whatever the good news is that's about to be dropped into her lap, and she reacts again with peace. She is a peacemaker. It's a peace that comes not from the world justifying her or rewarding her. It's not a peace which comes from the world recognizing her value or her worth. She's not better than everybody else or exceptionally beautiful or exceptionally kind or any of the things we've assigned to her to conjure up why God picked her. Except this amazing ability to be at peace. Mary knows who God created her to be and she doesn't try to be anybody else but Mary. 
warts and all. And every story of Mary in the Bible is one where she has a deep inner peace and an astute recognition of her role. Nobody else sees her except for God. My favorite Mary story is the wedding at Cana. You know this story? They're at a wedding, which, yay. And Jesus is sitting around the table with his friends having a good time and trying to, like, hide and be Jesus, right? And Mary rushes over to him and says, Jesus, get up. Jesus, get up. And Jesus rolls his eyes because it's his mom. And she grabs him by the collar and says, get up and make some wine. Right? Which my mother has never done. But it is a story that every woman knows, right? You with me? Yeah. God saw in her an inner strength, an inner value, a sense of righteousness and purpose. She knew who she was and what she needed to do, and she knew how to parent this kid named God. And she was not afraid to do it. We roll around in our lives of turmoil and anger and angst and discord and fear. We worry about whatever we are doing. We worry about how other people are going to interpret it. We worry about whether we're good enough or strong enough or pretty enough or wise enough or we talk well enough or are smart enough. And all of that not enoughness does nothing but cause us to be not at peace. We're afraid to let other peoples be themselves, to let them live the lives God made for them, not because whatever they're doing threatens us in any way, really, except for, you know, makes us feel uncomfortable that maybe we're not doing the right thing. If that's the good life, then am I, what, what am I doing? Do I need to be, to be able to create pivot tables in Excel in order to have the good life? Because if so, I'm out of luck. We're afraid to mess up. Because what if people find out we're not perfect and we don't have everything together and sometimes my house looks like the 101st Airborne parachuted into my living room? And what if somebody were to come over right then when my house is, you know, not clean and see that I'm not a good wife or mother or housekeeper? We're afraid to let go of control of the wheel. So we're afraid, what if the car veers off the road? What if something doesn't get done? What if people find out we don't really know what we're doing? All of this is self-doubt. It's a lack of belief that God made us good. That God saw you and made you good with a purpose and talents and skills and abilities and a brain and a community to support you along the way. What if we don't really believe that? What if we don't really believe we can be good enough or strong enough? Yes, you're a human. And I have news for you. You're going to mess up. If you haven't discovered that yet, then come and we'll talk about it. I'll help you find out where you messed up, right? Every person has sin. And no, you can't do everything. You don't have every talent. You may not have what you need. Mary wasn't strong or a beauty queen or smarter than everyone else. God made you good. And that's good enough for you and for everyone else. Maybe instead of trying to handle everything and hide our defects and pretend that we can do it all, we need to acknowledge that we can't do it all. You can't do it all. 
We're not able to do everything and be everything to everyone. And maybe we don't fit into a hole that society made for us or your family made for you or your church made for you. Neither did Mary. And she was not afraid. God gave you enough, enough for today and enough for a lifetime. You are enough. You are good enough. Do not be afraid. Be at peace. Amen.